My teacher, Anthony Giuliotti, he gave the advice, there's always a musical solution to a technical problem. How are you hearing it? How are you grouping the phrases? Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 83 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. In today's episode of the show, we're having round three of listener lightning rounds. This will be the final round for now, although I'm going to be introducing everyone to the new Clarinet production team a little later in this season. Um, if you want to be notified next time an opportunity like this comes up to appear on the podcast, be sure to join the email mailing list, and you can do this at clarinet.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, enter your email address, and click subscribe. I want to thank all those who support the production of the podcast on Patreon from as little as $1 a month. It goes a huge way to helping support the production costs and uh, hosting costs and all sorts of other costs that are associated with this endeavor. Uh, next episode, I'm going to be doing sort of an extended um, housekeeping edition episode where I'm going to talk about some of the reasons why Patreon support is so important and whether or not the podcast can continue long term without it. Other upcoming episodes of the podcast include an absolutely amazing conversation I recently had with Garrett Hack, who is a uh, touring Broadway musician. He talks a lot about travel tips and life on the road and playing repetitive music and how that sort of affects the, the mind and, and uh, the importance of keeping your chops up, even on instruments you're not currently playing. Uh, I think he said something like, you're always improving or you're getting worse and you need to make sure that it's always getting better. There's no such thing really in music as kind of staying at the same level, and I, I thought that was really profound. Also, Cornell Volak is coming back for another episode, and I'm really excited that he actually is joined by his colleague, a partner in crime there the with the double-double duo, Michael Bridge. Uh, they had a live sort of rehearsal, which I sat in on, and they talked about some of their performance and arranging techniques, and yeah, we're all in for a real treat for that episode. As soon as I can uh, find a way to get it edited here, it's going to be a little more complicated in that way. Anyways, uh, show notes for today's episode can be found at clarineat.com slash 83. That's the number 83. And as always, this episode was brought to you in part by our sponsor, D'Addario Woodwinds. Thank you so much for listening. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds. I'm here today with Bob Yoon, who's another special guest on our Listener Lightning Round episode of the podcast. Thanks for coming on the show, Bob. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an honor. I've been listening to your show for almost a year since I started playing again, so it's been a good companion. You say playing again. Did you take a break from playing for a while or? 12 years. 12 years. Oh, wow. Do you mind if I ask what brought you back and why you took the break? My career was the reason why I took the break. I just didn't have the time anymore. What do you do for a living? I was in the manufacturing field for about 10 years doing some project management, process improvement, that kind of work. And in the past year, uh, my employment situation has changed. I've been doing a little bit more freelancing on that side. And I decided, why don't I pick up clarinet again? Plus, I had a coworker who was trying to get me to play again because she's really into 
community band and stuff like that. Oh, very cool. So where are you in the world and how exactly did you discover the podcast? I'm in Chicago. I'm in the Chicago area in the western suburbs of Chicago. And when I was getting back into clarinet, I just started finding all different online resources to help me get back into things like what some of the new gear that might help me out, some of the things that I'm struggling with, how can I overcome them and things like that. Awesome. So you're in a community band there in Chicago or? Yes. And what's your favorite episode of the podcast been looking back then? Which one sort of helped you the most get back into things? Ricardo Morales talking about the way he practices. Like, I think I've forgotten how to practice systematically. So when he was talking about the Mendelssohn Scherzo and how he got back into it and just like the repeat several times and then move it up a few clicks. Is that the one where he mentioned that he sometimes plays things up to 30 times in a row to make sure it's right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I have some students sometimes tell me, oh, you know, after three or four times of trying it, they'll say, oh, I know it. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I've talked to some pretty high level players and they're repeating this more than you. And if it works for them, it works for you. <laughs> yeah. And then that podcast where you guys were discussing like different books. Oh, the debate. Yeah, the debate, which I wish there were more of because I thought that was fascinating. We're trying. The, the problem is Andrew's a very busy guy and he's also a new father. So he's got a lot, a lot on his plate right now. So but I'm going to try and pin him down here soon for a couple more of those debate episodes, maybe over the break. But I agree, they're quite popular, and I, I had no idea they would be so interesting. <laughs> so let's dive right into these lightning round questions here. If I were to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find on it? So I have a couple of the Larry Guy books, the Embouchure Building and the Hand Finger Development. So he's been kind of like a the teacher through these books for me. And then I also have, um, this is interesting, I have a photocopy of the uh, Close Scales, and they've been handed down from like three different generations of teachers. So from like Joseph Giuliani to Anthony Giuliani to Tom Hill, and Tom Hill was the one that gave it to me. And it has Joseph Giuliani's handwritings for like all the fingerings and markings and stuff. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. I wonder if that would be something we could upload almost like as a PDF for people to download, because the book, of course, is free of copyright by this point. But those annotations have some serious value. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That'd be very cool. Hopefully it'll come out because it's pretty tattered. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. It probably was mimeographed at a certain point and then photographed. So. Sounds like it's been well played either way. And then I've experienced something that most of you and your listeners probably have gone through, but like it took me this long to do it. I had to play Leroy Anderson's Sleigh Ride recently. Oh, yes. Yes, so did I just last week. <laughs> I played it three nights in a row and... I decided after each night, even after all that playing, I came home and I decided I have to detox. So each night I played something else. I think the last time I played, I played one of the berets from the Bach cello suites. So I just, I need detox after Leroy Anderson. That's what I learned. <laughs> it's a fun little piece. We did it as an encore at the symphony concert I got called to play at, uh, I think it was last week. So kind of a fun little Christmas send off for people. What piece of music or album changed your life indefinitely? Uh, Mahler's Ninth Symphony. I first heard it when I was 19 years old at a, what would seem like a difficult time in my life. And then knowing Mahler's biography and like what he was going through when he wrote that piece. And it was partly humbling in terms of you don't have it so bad. And it was also uplifting and inspiring too. Absolutely. And a lot of people have said Mahler on this. That's, that's great. So he's a fantastic composer, great music. My, uh, my roommate in college's favorite symphony was Mahler 7, I believe. Yeah, and I went through a period, I think 1995 to 1999, I listened to that symphony every single day. Wow. 
Yeah. Like me with Radiohead. <laughs> if you could play any other instrument than the clarinet, which would it be and why? It would be piano. Of course, I had to take piano in school and everything like that, but I wish I had a better proficiency at it. I'd love to be able to play jazz piano. I never got truly fluent with like harmonic language. So, Well, piano is a tough one. A lot of people, they do play a little bit of piano, myself included, but I don't really consider myself a pianist. I think there's a lot more to it than I <laughs> am aware of, that's for sure. I feel I might know the answer to this one, but if you could go back in time and meet any musician, who would it be and why? I might regret this, but Hermann Scherken, he was conducting all the major European orchestras, and then he was one of two things. He was very eccentric, and he was one of the most outspoken people against the Nazi regime. And there's like a handful of musicians that never recovered from that. Like his Mahler recordings, he was one of the very first conductors to get into like Bach and Beethoven, like performance practice. Yeah, and then afterwards, he conducted a lot of small orchestras. For example, there's a recording with him with the London Philharmonic. He could record a bunch of stuff with them. What year? I'm thinking the 50s or the 60s. Yeah, the timeline's interesting for me because the 50s and 60s would have been what I would have thought of as like the sort of heyday of the recordings and even into the 70s to some extent, but not in the 20s and 30s when, you know, the, the Nazis would have been coming to power. So that's interesting. Well, he was such a controversial figure that the orchestra had to record under a different name. It was like the Philharmonic Society of London or something, but it was really obvious who the orchestra was. Well, thanks for that. I'm going to look into it, and that sounds like it actually would make a pretty interesting research project or term paper or something for someone in college. Yeah, and I've talked to one of my old teachers has played under him, and a couple of other teachers have met him. I've heard some very interesting stories, so that could backfire. While we're back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't equate life with music, because when I decided to pursue music, I just dove right in, and I just structured my entire life around music, and then when I had an injury and had to give up, it just, it was just so devastating. And also, it showed that, like, my premise was false, that my life isn't music. It can be very important to you, and a corollary to that is, like, it's okay to have fun while you're a musician. Absolutely. I can definitely identify because I had a debilitating injury to my hand last uh, winter, I guess, and shut me down for about almost six months of playing. And I, I didn't realize how deeply that would kind of affect me. Right. Was yours a hand injury, if you mind me asking? Or I guess the best way to talk about it is the fact that like, I grew up with thin ligaments. And that means like I'm double jointed and things like that. But that also means that my joints don't have as much support. So my muscles have to compensate for that. So basically re repetitive stress type. Right. So like, oh, I'm always going to be prone to these injuries and it's not just going to be my hands. It's like whatever I'm into. So it derailed clarinet career and also it derailed a uh, conducting career for me. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a huge issue. Um, one I hope to address more on the podcast. I was, my eyes were open to it after, like I said, the, cause mine was not a long term or like any sort of genetic thing. It was like a, you know, a laceration of the tendon. So pretty immediate, pretty sudden, pretty unexpected, but it opened my eyes to what people experience and, um, sort of the tragedy of that. And there definitely needs to be further research and discussion about it, especially in the music community. So thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. What was the best advice you ever received and who gave it to you? My teacher, Anthony Giuliotti. He gave the advice, there's always a musical solution to a technical problem. And the other thing that I've noticed is there's a number of musicians that came out of Curtis, like first half of the 20th century, that seem to espouse the same thing, no matter what the instrument is. How are you hearing it? How are you grouping the phrases? 
and things like that. No, I think that's a brilliant. So one last question here. What is one book that you think everyone should read? I think this is going to be related to what I've been doing currently is just I've kind of embraced this whole idea of a portfolio career. And you've had some guests that espouse that too. Like I think Michael Lonestern's like the flagship example of that. But there's been several books I've found that's helping both with my career aspirations, like outside of music, and then ways in which I can maybe bring music into the fold of that. So there's books like Career Renegade by Jonathan Fields. There's a book called Zen and the Art of Making a Living, a Practical Guide to Creative Career Design. And that's by Lawrence Bolt, B-O-L-D-T is the last name. There was another one that was quite good, probably a little bit more relevant called Real Artists Don't Starve. I'm going to check all those out. And, and like usual, I'll link to all those in the show notes for sure. And you know what, Bob, you've had such interesting stories and your time with Giliotti and all that. We should definitely have you on for a full length episode at some point. It'd be very interesting. <laughs> I think that would be compelling. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm compelled. <laughs> I don't know if I feel worthy saying a lot of the other guests that you've had, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. And I do thank you for sharing all this wonderful information. And is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up here? I don't think so. Well, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and New Year. All right. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming on the show. And I'm really, actually, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode that Garrett Hack, who I spoke to regarding uh, being a Broadway musician, it turns out he also has uh, some extensive experience talking about injuries uh, for musicians. And I'm going to have him back right away. So you can actually look for two episodes coming up real quick here with Garrett Hack. And um, as I mentioned before, this this topic to me is really quite personal um, because I did suffer a rather debilitating hand injury uh, almost, uh, I guess, 18 months ago now. I had three tendons lacerated on my right hand um, from an injury where I fell down the stairs. And it completely caused me to rethink my sort of playing career. But thankfully, I've mostly recovered by now. But uh, anyways, injury prevention and injury recovery has become something that I'm extremely interested in. And I'm going to be featuring it, like I said, on several upcoming episodes of the podcast, hopefully, but at least in this one with Garrett Hack. Let's move on to the next guest of the Listener Lightning Round series. So I'm here with Dennis Kwok, who is another listener here for our special edition of Listener Lightning Rounds. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thanks for having me. So where are you in the world right now, and how did you hear about the Clarinet Podcast? Right now, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I've heard this partially because I, I took a couple of private lessons with Sean before, and he started this podcast up, so here we are. That's true. That was just before you headed out for your studies. So tell me a little more about yourself and for the audience there. What is it that you're currently doing with the clarinet? So I'm actually a saxophone major, but I've been really encouraged to pick up the other doubles. So clarinet is one of them. And, you know, I play clarinet on occasion, but I, I do kind of work on it regularly just to have that in my bag. And, and it's been great. Like, it's just like a part of what I do and interests that I have now about the woodwinds and music in general. Yeah, doubling is such an important thing these days, especially clarinet doubling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I found because I'm in a couple ensembles that do have clarinet in them, I find that it's hard to find people to sub for me because there's not a lot of people that want to pick this B stuff. <laughs> Originally, uh, I remember picking up clarinet just feels like, oh, this will make me more employable. But as I played more clarinet, I enjoy it a lot more than just being an asset. It's like, oh, this is actually a very expressive 
instrument with a lot of qualities and a lot of intricate details that are very fascinating to me. So well, welcome to the dark side or the, or the yeah. light side, depending on <laughs> <Exactly>. how you <laughs> <laughs> If I were to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find on it? You would find the Schumann Fantasy Movement 3. I've been working through the first two moments lately. And you would also find a bunch of flexibility things for the left hand. What's the book you're working on for that? Because I need one like that, but for the right hand, I could just transpose it. <laughs> I'm not sure. My teacher here, Dick Thompson, he just gave me a bunch of sheets of all left hand workouts. And it, honestly, they are terrible, but they're great for you. <laughs> <laughs> terrible in the sense that they're like hard to work through you mean or well it's just frustrating you're like man i need to put down a to c for like an entire line and it asks you to slur the entire thing from the thumb throat tones to the rest of the left hand and all sorts of fingerings that you don't necessarily like well it is challenging because not only is that a tricky spot on the clarinet but also most people are right-handed are you right-handed yeah, we're, like working through the that technique stuff really helped even out many things which piece of music changed your life irreversibly or, or album? One of the, probably like the whole second suite, because I remember being in school and this was one of the first actual wind ensemble repertoire pieces that we actually learned. And it was like, this is what it's like to not play school band stuff that's meant to just teach you the basics. And it's like, this is what music is all about. I always tell kids, actually, you know, when they get to that point, they're really lucky that Holst bothered to write this kind of music because it was... He was kind of taking a bit of a risk, wasn't he? It was, it was a new genre. Yeah, exactly. So that classical wind ensemble literature was just really special for me, especially um, learning and being in school was, was just like, oh, this is the music that is actually meant for wind ensemble. So this question's maybe not the best for you because you also play saxophone, but if you could play any instrument other than one of your current instruments, which would it be and why? Honestly, I'd be very interested in mallet percussion. I just love vibraphone. It's kind of so unique in its timbres and possibilities. I can understand because I'm also a percussionist, so that's a great answer. If we could go back in time and you could meet any musician, who would it be and why? I think it would be very interesting to chat with Miles Davis, if he would chat, <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps like Louis Armstrong, just to have that perspective. What else? Bernstein? Yeah, Bernstein would be very interesting to chat with. Yeah, there's so many options. I don't know if I could pick one. There's many musicians in the past, that's for sure, that are definitely amazing. While we're back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't forget your fundamentals. What do you mean? Like in, in general or with clarinet? Or with in general, it's like sound. Listen to your teachers. They know what's best for you. Just dig right into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've been there before, right? For sure, yeah. I've definitely found that the more I'm learning about other things, like, oh, I've gotten this piece of information before, but now I'm working on it a couple of months, years later, and, oh, this is why they told me to do this. <laughs> what will really blow your mind is after college or university, when you look back five years later, and then you realize something. Oh, <laughs> that's what they meant. I'm sure that's going to happen soon enough. <laughs> so speaking of advice, that's the advice you'd give yourself, but what advice was the best that you received and who gave it to you? It's one of my professors here, Andy Ballantyne and Mark Romain. They both say that when you're playing different instruments, you just have to approach it as if you primarily play that instrument. So when I pick up clarinet, I am a clarinet player. When I pick up flute, I am a flute player. Saxophone, you're a saxophone. And just really understand the relationships between all these instruments and how they're similar, but also understand how they're different and make sure that you don't kind of bring in too much of a different perspective. 
And that's kind of like the key to success for these doubles. And I found great help in this. I like that. Well, you have to think that with the fingerings, for example, but it's got to go beyond that as far as your interpretation of the style and and the way to actually physically play the instrument. You know, you can't be the clarinet player who plays saxophone. You got to be a saxophone player. So you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. And I found that with all these, you understand every instrument a little more. It's like, oh, this is how I manipulate voicing on clarinet, but this is very similar to how I manipulate voicing on saxophone and it's all connected. So that's what I've found and and what people have told me. What is one book you think everyone should read? Effortless Mastery, Kenny Werner. Is that something we can get readily on Amazon? That is something you can get readily on Amazon. I think I bought it on Indigo and it was about 20 bucks and it's fascinating. Kenny Werner's perspective on how to get rid of performance anxiety, how to feel better about your own playing while having the confidence to work is of good read. Do recommend. Definitely have to check that out. My reading list is getting quite long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many clarinets do you have? I have two. Yeah, both B-flat clarinets. One is a unnamed Chinese brand and an R13 now. So, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today for our little listener lightning round session. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck with your, your, your studies and uh, your doubling with the clarinet. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks so much, Dennis, for coming on the podcast. And I also wanted to add that, uh, in case you missed last episode, that I mentioned that I will be having Dr. Miranda George to come on and talk about anxiety in musicians. Um, I'm really interested in asking about sort of how diet and lifestyle affect levels of anxiety and and why sometimes anxiety might be constructive and other times really detrimental. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask, listener questions are now being accepted exclusively through Patreon. Now, Patreon is a way to support your favorite content creators and get access to a little bit extra at the same time. For Clarinet, what that means is there's some bonus episodes, there is uh, ad-free episodes presented in high-quality audio, and they tend to be early access. You can get started and consider it kind of like maybe an extra read once a month or once a week, whatever you can afford, for as little as $1 a month, and this will help go a long way to making the production of the podcast possible. If this is your first time tuning into the show, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you happen to be listening. You can also keep in touch by following Clarinet on social media and by joining our email mailing list. Go to Clarinet.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, enter your email, and click subscribe. I send out updates such as new content and sometimes even coupon codes for discounts on apparel like our awesome Clarinet t-shirts. If you'd like to get in touch directly and pass on any thoughts, guest requests, or even just to say hello, I really do love hearing from all Clarinet fans all around the world, send me a message at feedback at Clarinet.com. By the way, sorry for the sound in the background there, if you can hear it. My my wife just started teaching piano lessons, but I would really like to finish this recording here today so I can get this episode out right away. The podcast is produced by a wonderful team of volunteers. Uh, for today's episode, I'd love to thank our copy editor, Megan Taylor, audio editor, Brian Chappelle's. Social media assistant, Tony Park, and research assistant, Brett Newton. The music that starts and ends the podcast is by Michael Lowenstern, and I'm your host, Sean Perrin, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, where the sun finally came out this week. It was absolutely amazing. It's above zero for the first time in a long time, and I'm really looking forward to actually having spring and maybe getting some better performance out of my reads. We'll see you again soon for more of what's new and neat for clarinet on the Clarinet Podcast.
If you'd like to support the production of the show, as I was talking about a moment ago, you can do this at www.clarineat.com support. Today's episode was also brought to you by our sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Thank you so much for listening. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds.